Hello everyone, welcome to the Jack Osborne podcast. This is the first ever episode. And in this episode, I will be looking at the Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury 2. And as we know, it's going to be a cracking fight, to say the least. Obviously, with Deontay Wilder retaining his title in the controversial draw, which many thought that Tyson Fury actually outboxed, despite the two knockdowns. And probably from one of the greatest moments in boxing in the modern day, I would say the last decade, was like the Tyson Fury Undertaker-style like the way he rose up from the ground, being flat on his back and back onto his feet. Even the shots, the shots wilder. <clears throat> so in this podcast, I will be looking at the first fight and how the draw was controversial in a sense. Then I'll be looking at Tyson Fury. And then we're going to have a song in between just to break it down a little. As I don't pay mad revenue at the moment because I am unsponsored. If you are listening, you can sponsor me. And after the break, we'll look at Deontay Wilder, the undercard, and then I'll end in the outro. I'll put predictions and what's next for either fighter post fight. And basically, the fight is happening on the twenty second of February at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, which is a legendary menu to say menu venue to say the least. We literally see fighters like Manny Pacquiao has fought there. I think Mike Tyson has fought there. For America, it's a pretty prestigious venue for boxing. That's how. That's basically how you say it. It is probably the premier venue. That and MSG, the Madison Square Gardens. They're the only two places you think if it's boxing in America, they're the places to be. Now, you know, if you have got young listeners who are boxing fans, please be aware this is an unfiltered podcast, so there will be a bit of some strong language in it. Also, we'll be having a clip from a press conference which might contain some bad language, as it is containing Tyson Fury making a gesture or a remark towards Deontay Wilder. And most of all, as well, we hope you enjoy this podcast. There will be links in the bio to all my other social media sites, which you can follow the blog of this as well. So without further ado, let's go into the fight. We're going to look at the first fight, which was a controversial draw, in the sense that, the only way we can put it, that Deontay Wilder came into this fight thinking that Fury was going to be another one he could easily, easily knock out. The problem with Wilder at the moment, he's re- he has fought very, very notable fighters. He's fought Lewis Ortiz at the time. In a sense, that was probably his toughest opponent before that. And I think the way Wilder came in, he probably thought Fury's been out the ring for two years. I could probably fucking knock him out. And, yeah, I think that's how... That's how the Wilder mindset went into this fight. Because, really, because if you have watched Deontay Wilder fight, because, like, quite recently he fought Lewis Ortiz. But before this Fury fight, he was very diving in. He was not... He knocked someone out within 20 seconds in one fight. And... He dives into punches pretty easy, Wilder does, in fairness. And 
it is quite contrasting to think the style of Fury fight, which I will get into as I talk about the first fight. And the thing is as well, Fury didn't really fight known fighters in his comeback. He fought that short heavy that really small heavyweight. Which that fight was like that guy did put a great fight in for Fury. But it was just too much for him and the twelve rounds in Dublin on the Southampton undercard at the Aviva Stadium if they stay correct. In a sense, Fury came into this fight unfit, and that's what Wilder thought. Okay, he's unfit. He's a slow fighter for me. I can knock him out. I think the lead of that fight, he, he basically assumed that was going to happen. He was telling Fury, like, I'm going to knock you out, I'm going to knock you out. I've got a one-punch power, I'll land our right hand, which he has got an unbelievable right hand. He does throw windmills, that's the only way we can put Deontay Wilder, he does throw windmills. And basically that fight was Fury's written off straight away. That's no doubt about it. The Americans wrote Fury off. Britain gave him more of a chance than the Americans. I think he was leading on I think he was leading on Betball. I just researched. He was leading on Betball and William Hill to win the fight. Sky bet had him at even, so that's the type of fight everyone else had Deontay Wilder to win this fight and retain the title, which a lot of people saw. If he passes Fury, Fury will be out the heavyweight race, so he can move on to Joshua, which Joshua was at the time was planning to fight Jarrell Miller, which. We all know that didn't happen. He went on to fight and lose to Andy Ruiz. Then for Andy Ruiz again to win his title back in Saudi Arabia. But nevertheless, let's go back to the first fight. It was... It was thrilling. It was a great fight to watch. Like, I'm watching a clip of it now. And you can see what how it is controversial. Because the fight was in the control of... Fury all through. This is what Wilder didn't understand. He just couldn't get it into his head. That Fury was controlling him. He was outboxing him. And almost like the Mayweather punch standoff. Punch standoff. It's like a box clever sort of thing. Get behind the jab. Get one in. Standoff. And the thing is. Fury has quite a low guard. And he just taunts them from there. And we got this thing with Wilder's like, he didn't get into my head, he didn't get into my head. Clearly you can watch this fight and you can see that Fury was in his head from the start. And we have the clip there. Sorry, can't get the word out. We have to skip now. The clip with the first knockdown. As you can see, just leading up to it now, or as you can like hear my description, as I can see that Fury is in control. He's getting behind his jab. He's actually doing really well getting behind that. Just quite, and that's the breakthrough there. He got behind his jab. He let his guard go low and he tried to stand off. Wilder just capitalized, swings, and just hits him. Clearly hits him. And that's Fury down. It went exactly the. It went exactly like the scariest knockdown. You can clearly tell Fury got straight back up. He was ready. 
and the the ref just let it carry on. And again, it just takes complete control again for Fury. He just takes control of the fight. He does the same style. And again, you think, I broke it down once. Just one punch, I broke that style. And it was just round after round where Wilder just couldn't get in. And also, we're going to jump into the final round quickly with um that knockdown where Fury gets knocked out. And it was an incredible comeback from it because he looked down and out. He looked completely finished. And Deontay Wilder, he, he was looking, he was celebrating, he was wiggling his shoulders, like doing a dance. It's like that film Snatch. At the last fight. Where um, Turkish is like, Mickey, all you gotta do is stay down. And then Mickey, you're gonna see me like Mickey's hit the water, gets up off the ground, and almost like knock him out. Sort of thing, but obviously the knockout didn't happen in this fight. It's a bit like that, and if for our young listeners who are big WWE fans, it was almost like a Undertaker moment where he is literally. Where the Undertaker's only flat on the floor, sits up, turns, and you think, well, can he stop this man? And, yeah, and Wilder was in disbelief, I think the entire Staples Center was in disbelief. It was just something that no one expected from Fury, especially the stuff he went through with his health beforehand, the weight loss he's gained. He was somewhat unfit. I wouldn't say he was completely unfit like Fury does make out going into this fight. And Fury did put on a good fight, unless Wilder was so off character and he was unfit. I think definitely the decision for that fight for me would have been a Fury win by points. I think he took a lot of the rounds, apart from the two he got knocked down in. And in the first fight, his shot shot percentages were great. (laughs) It was 71 landed punches of... uh, Sorry. Wilder landed 71 punches of 430 thrown. That's 17% of his punches landed. Fury landed 84 in... 320 punches, which is 26%. In a sense, per round, Wilder was landing four punches per round. That could be, that. I'm guessing there weren't really a lot of stats to this. I don't, don't know about jabs. I did try and find a jab potential. They linked them to one. So I'm going to assume this is not including jabs. You can land quite a few jabs in the fight. Wilder landed four punches per round. While Fury landed six punches per round. In a sense, that's, that is a sign of the outboxing Fury done. And Fury doesn't throw a lot of punches. He was the same with the Vladimir Klitschko fight. I think he was throwing the punches which Wilder was throwing against him. I don't know if Fury is probably the older opponent with the Klitschko scenario or he just knew. I could beat Klitschko, I'm the younger man. He's old news. 
or is it just Pitco that is just slowed down and just took advantage of Pitco being slow? But nevertheless, that is one side. I don't know how these scorecards done it as a split decision draw. Like um, Peter Fury did say to him, he which he did reveal on the True Drawney podcast, that if you're going up to America, you're not getting the result on points. Which in a sense, he didn't. Because for me personally, he's won that title. I think Deontay Wilder didn't do enough in that. He acted like he did win the fight, so you can clearly tell when that draw was announced, it was a sigh of relief on his face, and he probably thought, thank fuck. And then after that, Deontay Wilder went on to fight. And did he say Otto Whelan or Otto Whelan, which that's what Fury fought. He fought Dominic Brazil, who was actually having his second world title shot. His first was against his first was against Anthony Joshua in his first title defence. And he fought Lewis Ortiz again. Tyson Fury fought Otto Wallen. Wallian, I cannot pronounce his name. I do apologise if anyone is a fan of him. And he fought Thomas Schwartz. If you are interested, before Fury fought Wilder, he fought fought Francesco Pianetta in Belfast or Dublin, I do apologise, and Sefer Seri in the Manchester Arena. That was his comeback fight. And now I'm going to look up the fighters. And I think I'm going to start with possibly one of the most in boxing. I've got to look up Tyson Fury first. He is the challenger. He is the Gypsy King. We're going to look at his box record. I'm going to do it by via the tape of the tape first before I go more well in depth. He is the Gypsy King. He is from Manchester, England. He does go under island sometimes. His record is 29-0 with one draw, with all by 20 fights being coming by 20 knockouts. He is at six foot nine inches, which he is one of the tallest heavyweights about at the moment. And his stance is an orthodox. And he has got he's got some really good amateur medals. He's got three of them representing England, and he's got one representing Ireland. The first one came in two thousand six, where he won bronze at the World Junior Championships representing Ireland. In the super heavyweights. Then he came in 2007. When he went to the European Junior Championships. We won silver at super heavyweight. And that's when he started fighting for England. In the EU Junior Championships. 2007. Which was obviously the last one. He won gold. And I was in Warsaw. He won that. And then the following year in the English National Championships he won gold again in London 20, 20 sorry 2008 and then he the Olympic year we've got to remember as well with Tyson being a gypsy he has got a very rich boxing or bare knuckle boxing heritage Fury has a distant relative which is his great uncle Bart, Bartley Goldman, 
who was considered the king of gypsies. Bartley Gorman is actually the great uncle to Nathan Gorman, who lost to Daniel Dubois two months back. That was a great fight as well. Tyson Fury's great uncle, Bartley Gorman, actually, in my previous blog about the London gangsters and the underworld, Lenny McLean, the governor, was challenged by Gorman and actually turned it down. Fury's got some boxing in his family, in fairness. His cousin, Huey Fury, is a professional boxer. He's a world title contender. He lost to um, Joseph Parker at the Manchester Arena before Parker went on to lose to Anthony Joshua at the Millennium Stadium. That's a recurring theme, losing to Joshua with these two. And then there's Nathan Gorman, who's obviously his cousin. He's also cousin to retired WBO middleweight world champion Andy Lee. And light heavyweight contender Hossia Burton. And also his half brother, the Love Island star Tommy Fury. Is also a boxer. So his thing with the Fury family, they are gypsies. I'm not I'm not saying this in a racist sense. I'm not being racist at all. So I'm not assuming this. They have got, and his family are very, very known to be a fighting family. You always hear a lot about the Fury fighting family. They have got a great history. In Boston, John Fury competed in the 1980s as a bare knuckle boxer, an unlicensed boxer, then turned professional. It goes back a long way, this Fury fighting family. He's got a very, very proud Irish traveller's descent. I don't know what. I, I don't know if he's Romany. I, I'm not, I'm not going to dive into going what type of a traveller he is. What, I know that sounds very bad and very unknowledged. I shouldn't really jump into it. But I'm going to move on to now his amateur boxing career. Fury has fought for Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And sometimes that was just both joined together in certain tournaments. Then he turned to represent England in 2007. I'm just having a little read of that actually. He went on to compete for England in 2007, then he went on to win silver at the Junior Championship, losing to Maxim Barian in the final. In his junior days, when he moved to England, he was ranked number three by Russia's Maxim Barnian, which he lost to, and Andre Vokluk, if I pronounced that right. He did have a chance. He didn't have a chance to, to compete at the 2008 Olympic Games. There was, because he was literally, he missed out to Dave Price. This is the only way you can put it. Fury missed out to Dave Price. And honestly, watching Dave Price, what was going through their heads? I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Dave Price. How did he miss out to Dave Price? I'm reading this and he's missed out to Dave Price. Right, let's get back to this. I'm not taking this serious at the moment. I'm going to start with his Procreate. He made his debut in 2008. He was 20 years old when he made his debut. He was on the undercard of 
Carl Frost and Jean Pascal. Fury beat Bella Guscini, who, who defeated him via KO. They said, yeah, he beat him via KO in the first round with a combination head and body. Fury fought six times in seven months. They don't get that now. You want to get an amateur boxer, fight four times a year, one every season. This guy literally fought twice a month. All fights end within four rounds as well. This is the thing with Fury, you've got to think. This man is dangerous to Wilder. Yes, I know this is not exactly a great vlog at the moment. I'm going to try and improve it. Sorry, it just popped into red. Fury is dangerous to Wilder. Wilder still thinks he can underestimate. Fury, and it's unbelievable what Fury can do. He is such a clever fighter. He has proven that he can fight clearly with the proper family heritage that he has in Boston and licensed Boston and being up at Boston. It is just incredible what he can do. And then he did have his big break eventually. In 2011, he faced the undefeated at the time, Derek Chisora for the British and Commonwealth Heavyweight titles at Wembley Arena. Fury was only 22 when he went into this fight. But both fighters were literally neck to neck on record. And oddly, Fury's size was much more superior. He was a much bigger fighter, way more better reach, he was taller, he did not get a chance with the Buckies, and this is the problem with Fury, how much of a brilliant fighter he is, he is always the underdog, Chisora was literally on top of every fucking odds you can think, Fury can even get a sniff of shit if he tried in this race, and the fight was actually Promoted by Mick Hennessy, which was one of the first promoters for Tyson Fury. Now he's with Frank Warren. And working with a string of American promoters like Bob Arum. And believe it or not, this fight was free to air on Channel 5. And this is this fight was coming into the days before the London 2012 Olympics. Because London 2012 Olympics, I think, really traced what modern boxing is now at the moment. Because I think after Lennox Lewis... It was for Britain, it was only Carl Zaghi, Hatton, Hay, who we really looked forward to to watch. America had Andre Ward, it had Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao was fighting in America from the Philippines a lot. We had those fighters. This came at an age before the Olympics. Peaked around 3 million viewers on free to air, which is unbelievable. But the 2011, you've got to remember London 2012 brought fighters like Alexander Rusik, Vasily Lomachenko, Luke Campbell, household names, and most notably, Anthony Joshua. So notable names. And the fact is that 
unanimous decision when for a theory when catapulted his career in a sense. The decision went seventeen hundred and seventeen to hundred and twelve, hundred and seventeen to hundred and twelve, hundred and eighteen to hundred and eleven. It was it they are big wins. Chisora was shocked and obviously Chisora is up there still as a contender. A world class contender. He's not a world class champion. We know that. He's never won a title. But he is a world class contender. And this is what really, really justifies the swing towards Fury's career. Going into the right way. This is going now onto the path to Klitschko. Because after the Klitschko, this is where a different story of Fury starts. And after that different story, this is the Fury we see start. The road to Klitschko, this was one step. And obviously not long after this, Fury did end up training camp with Klitschko, which we do see Fury actually say in the True Geordie podcast, that's when the rivalry started. But Fury did um, fight not shortly afterwards, on the 17th of September, he fought 32-year-old contender, Nikolai Flurfer, which was a non-title bout. It was fought in Belfast. Fury's got quite a great record in Belfast. Fury's opponent did take the fight in two weeks' notice, in fairness. The opening two rounds of the fight, I did watch this fight quite recently. I was told to watch it by someone. It was dominated by Fury. But then it was just like quite a shocking moment. This is one thing. This theory didn't know, probably. This theory didn't understand. He was 15, 15 and 0 at the time. Further hit him with a great, great punch. And it really shocked him. He looked dazed. And he just literally took the rest of the road out. He had to. Otherwise, that that would have really changed Fury's career. That one more hit that further could go on him. And then after round next, the round after that, Fury regained control of the fight. The referee stopped the fight at two minutes and nineteen seconds of the fifth round. And I've actually got a quote written down by Fury about him getting caught. He said, he caught me with a good punch, and I have to come back from it. This is one thing I'm going to like put into the context of the Deontay Wilder. That final knockdown, which Wilder, which I, I think everyone, not just Wilder, everyone even in the arena wrote off theory. It wasn't just Wilder, it was the arena, a TV, the world wrote off theory. The world said... He's gone. That's one line he said. He caught me with a good punch. And I have to come back from it. Something so simple. Which down the line. This is September 2011. So then down the line. Fury did it in 2018. That mentality. That was a different Tyson Fury then. To the Tyson Fury now. That mentality still stays in his head. He doesn't want to lose. And then Fury started going into more fights where 
he was obvious favourite to win. And they weren't in reading until November 2012, which is another fighter, American world title contender, who has fought some many interesting people. Kevin Johnson, the kingpin, well known for fighting Deontay Wilder, and Anthony Joshua. I think he's fought Derek Chisora as well, and if I'm right, Dylan White. He has fought many and many of these fighters. Fury was in the World Title Eliminator at the Odyssey Arena in Belfast. On December the 1st, he won a unanimous decision against Johnson after 12 rounds, and the scores literally reflect how great Fury is as a fighter. The first judge called it at 119 to 110. And this is where it gets a bit more like how do I say? Fury like fucked him up within twelve rounds. The both judges, the final two judges, scored the fight hundred and nineteen to hundred and eight. There were a few, I, I would say there's a few seven rounds in there for seven rounds in the sense of scoring. Fury's hitting ten every round, while he's hitting seven in sort of thing. The win literally got Fury catapulted completely into the world stage. David Price, who actually Prevented Fury from going to the 2008 Olympics, as we touched upon. Actually started a rival with him. And basically, David Price did get the one foot ahead. He was next in line to challenge Vitaly Klitschko for the WBC title. And that was an, a little bit of a setback for Fury. But it just kept growing. Fury made a stage debut in Madison Square Garden Theatre where he beat former cruiserweight champion Steve Cunningham. And then he literally beat. Literally, he needs to go on and beat the Bulgarian fighter Kubrat Pulev, which is going to have another link to Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua, please consider Anthony Joshua is going to be a big part at the end of this podcast. Kobrat Pulev to face Vladimir Klitschko, which is going to be something. It was going to be something. And Fury's career didn't really have a great start sometimes. He, end, he was going to fight in his first pay-per-view fight. He was due to fight David Hay in 2013. Hay pulled out of the fight after sustaining a cut. He did have six stitches in fairness. The fight was postponed to February 2014. Hay pulled out for the second time. Nothing new from David Hay lately. On the 17th of November, after he had a career-threatening shoulder injury, and this is like started bringing back some of David Hayes. This is why he was out for a while. If people didn't know why David Hayes was out for a while, 
we thought some random fucking guy from the pub on Dane's before we got knocked out twice by Tony Bellion. So Fury did for a quite a few he fought very, very quite a few average opponents again. Then he started calling out Vladimir Klitschko saying Tyson, he took the microphone after a fight saying Tyson's Tyson too fast Fury, that's the name, fighting the game, and these bums compared to me. I want Vladimir Klitschko. He's avoiding me. Let's get on it, Wad. And that was like the real, real start of Fury. He started really getting on to the European title stages. He was European heavyweight champion. He was due to fight Chisora for the second time for the British and heavyweight title. Also, the European title. Chisora pulled out. A Belarusian Alexander Ustinov was lined up to replace Chisora. The bout took place. Fury did pull out after his uncle and his cousin's trainer fallen ill. Fury and Chisora did happen eventually at the London XL. The WBO title eliminator. Fury won the fight again. It was dominating. And basically in the 10th round. Chisora threw in the towel. And then Fury started pulling out Vladimir Klitschko again. Saying I'm coming. No retreat and no surrender. And it was really when he fought Christian Hammer. Which we saw the title shot. With Klitschko. Fury got what he asked for in that fight. Fury got. He got the job done. That's one way we got to put it. Fury got the job done. And. Again he just called out Vladimir Klitschko. And then it was the Klitschko fight. October 2015. Fury was massively written off. With nothing. With nothing, no one supporting him, not even no bookie supporting him. He had his private support. Even Britain, the country, was on Klitschko's side. I remember that fight. I, even I was on Klitschko's side, in fairness. How much I love Fury now. I weren't a keen fan on him before the comeback. And I think during the comeback, I started liking him. When he started revealing his personal feelings. That's one thing we got to remember with Tyson Fury. He said some things are wrong. He knows he said some things are wrong. He acknowledges he doesn't justify what he's done wrong. He can't defend it. He knows what he's done wrong. But the way he's come back from it. The way he's like. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, I'm very negative. It's, it's not making me feel good. And obviously, it was depression that brought Fury down. So that's going to be something I will come to. I don't want to sound it. So Fury did get his title shot with Vladimir Klitschko. 
fight was actually originally meant to take place on the 24th of October before Pritzko pulled out with a calf injury. To Fury's amusement, Instagram and Twitter posts will put up a videos of him verbally abusing, to say the least, Vladimir Klitschko. But then the fight went ahead on the 28th of November, and this is what we are looking at in this fight. The standoff, one punch go, one punch go, outboxing, Klitschko. Klitschko failed to throw his well-known right hand. He is well-known, hit hard with the right. Fury even took the pit out of him all fight. He just took the pit out of him. Put his hands behind his back, sticking his tongue out. It was embarrassing. And the fight actually saw the same amount of punches in percentages land. Pitchko only landed 52 of 231 punches, which is 23%. Fury landed 86 of 371 punches which is also 23%. In the end, it weren't a great fight for action. Fury knows what he had to do. He knows he couldn't give Klitschko the tight distance which he loves to fight in. He needs to keep him far away out of his reach. Only in the reach for a jab which Fury can move because you gotta remember Fury is a pretty fast person. His nickname is too fat. He is pretty fast for a big guy. And in the end he won the fight. He won it by a unanimous decision. 115, 112, 115, 112, 115, 111. But the fight was meant to be a rematch. It was an organised rematch. They did have a press conference. The fight was meant to take place in Manchester Arena. But then Fury on December the 15th was stripped of the title. Fury had only had the IBF title for 10 days before being stripped. Because Fury wouldn't face the mandatory challenger. And I think really after that, after the press conferences, Fury said he had no motivation for the rematch. He didn't want to do it. He started gaining weight. And I think this is like the... A lot of people really started giving up hope on Fury, I would say, in the sense of his personality. Because he was a very outlandish personality in boxing. He turned up to the press conference with Pritzker dressed up as Batman and chased the Joker, then came back and did a press conference. Then he was charged by the anti-doping agency. Tyson postponed the fight because he's medically unfit and he failed the drug test for cocaine. And he was tested positive for depression as well. And he did turn around and said he was seeing a psychiatrist and he has got his own version of bipolar and he's depressed. And he doesn't even want glory. 
if this is really this, I'm going to read the quote. It is quite powerful what Fury says. Right, let me get to the starting point. I've been going through depression. I don't want to live anymore, if you know what I'm saying. I've, I had a total enough of it. Never mind cocaine, I just didn't care. I don't want to live anymore. So cocaine is a little minor thing compared to wanting to live anymore. I am seeing help, but they can't do nothing for me. I don't want to live anymore. All the money in the world, fame and glory means nothing if you're not happy. I'm seeing a psychiatrist. They said I got a version of bipolar and I managed depressive. I don't even want to wake up. I hope to die every day. And that's a bad thing to say when I've got three children and a lovely wife, isn't it? But I don't want to live anymore. And if I could take my own life and I wasn't Christian, I'd take it in a second. I just hope someone kills me before I kill myself. I have spent eternity in hell and I've been out drinking Monday to Friday to Sunday and taking cocaine. I can't deal with it and the only thing that helps me is when I get drunk out of my mind. And I think Fury was literally going in and out of he was going in and out of retirement and that's when he starts sparking things and then Fury started really coming back slowly and you could see it was a personality change. This is the Fury which you see today. He was going to the gym quite a lot. He was really overweight. And then he did end up signing a multi-site deal with Frank Warren's Queensbury Pro Promotions. And he actually went back into the gym with Ricky Hatton, a good friend of his. Then he started taking a shape. He started to look... Fury always had the reputation to be fat. He started gaining more muscle. He started getting more powerful with his punches. His fighting style was similar, but he started hitting heavier. He ended up fighting Sefer Sefri, an Albanian, in his first fight in the 10 round bout. A career cruiserweight, he was, exactly, to be thrown his height. Fury weighed 276 pounds and Sefri was 66 pounds he was 66 pounds heavier than Sefri. Fury has lost 112 pounds for the fight. That's the contrast of what Fury did to get back. The fight had no action, Fury was just showboating all the way through. Sefri literally quit in his corner. After four rounds, which also saw a fight in the crowd, believe it or not, and I never knew that actually happened. And then Fury fought again. He fought on the Car France and Undercard in Windsor Park. He fought Francesca Pianetta, a two time world title challenger. It went to the 12 rounds, and after that, 
Suri Asu won hundred to ninety on the scorecard, all three. Well the referee Asu scored hundred to ninety. Then Suri actually wanted this fight to end within twelve rounds. To prove to Deontay Wilder and obviously we now looked at the Wilder fight. We called up Wilder afterwards, we looked at the Wilder fight. And that's pretty much how Tyson Fury's gone back into it. He's fought into the WWE, he's fought Otto Watian and Otto Wallen, sorry, and Michael Schwartz, or Tom Schwartz, sorry, I don't know where I got the Michael from. And now he's gone into this fight. He did fight in Saudi Arabia for the dub against Braun Strowman in um the WWE Crown Jewel. Fury is featured on podcast. He has got a great podcast. I've read it on the site behind the mask. Tyson Fury. I'm gonna buy a copy myself, and he's got a four-part documentary coming on ITV. While he's um preparing to fight Deontay Wilder, and he has got a real interest of um fighting in WWE. WWE, sorry. He has got interest fighting the WWE, carrying it on. But MMA, UFC, he's looking forward to. He, he has been training with Darren Till and Conor McGregor's interested to train him. So Fury's got options. He's got three fights left on his contract. He wants Joshua next and probably a farewell fight with Chisora before he steps into another sport. So that's pretty much Tyson Fury. This is the first part of the blog. The song you'll be listening to now is Oasis, She's Electric. Hello, welcome back to part two of the Deontay Wilder v Tyson Fury podcast. The last half we saw the first fight and Tyson Fury. So now we're going to move on to Deontay Wilder and the undercard. Before I make my permission, permissions, predictions of the fight. So I'm going to really start with Deontay Wilder's, because his boxing career is quite, quite incredible, because really, his professional career was quite, he made his debut in 2008, not really long after Fury, he's only 23. He didn't really he went into it as a journeyman. That's one way we can put it. And it was really to do with his daughter. He needed to carry on providing for his family and for his daughter. And that's how basically that's how he went into boxing. As a pro, and he thought, I'll keep it up. I'll go and be a journeyman. I'll make my money. I'll keep my family going. Because his record, he, he has fought in the UK. He made his UK debut in 2013. He actually fought an Olympic gold medalist in 2000, Audrey Harrison. Knocked him out in the first round with. 49 seconds gone. 
And that was a headline card by Amir Khan he was fighting on. The, prop, the thing is now with Deontay Wilder, that was basically, he probably, I'm going to go through his um, boxing record now actually, I don't know what number of fights that was. He went 28 fights. In 2008 to April 2013. And really, he. A lot of these people, you can like look at them. I'm looking at his record on Wikipedia actually, because this is the contrast I wanted to use. One, two, three. Four. Four people on his fight record before Audley Harrison has got cages on Wikipedia. None of these fighters have. From his first fight against Ethan Cox to his fight before Audley Harrison, Matthew Gear, they did not have Wikipedia pages. And obviously you see him going through his Wikipedia now. Virtually everyone he's fought has got Wikipedia pages. That was the thing. It weren't until the Audley, Audley Harrison fight it started rising up the ranks. He really started gaining these fights. Started gaining credit, getting called out more by some of these world class fighters. But following that, he did fight a few more people that's not really, I would say, notable household boxer names. Oldly Harrison was very household in Britain. Fourth of that, David Hay Height fight, which was one of the first that Eddie Hearn promoted, and it was like he was meant to feature in two thousand thirteen at Wembley Arena on an undercard, which Frank Warren was organised. He was due to fight Derek Chisora. There was no deal in the end for that fight. Um, the Golden Boy promotions, Oscar De La Hoya's. Camp and Wilder's camp, there was no deal in the place, the fight fell through. But then Wilder was arrested straight afterwards for domestic assault. Which is a thing, because these boxers, we can say all this, you can say all this about Fury Wilder, he was arrested for domestic assault in Las Vegas. I'll have to look into that a bit more quickly. It's probably going to be something called on you about that. Yes, I, I can't, I, I'll have to look into that a bit more towards the end. Deontay Wilder. Um, I don't know what happened with the domestic assault. I'm not going to go into it at the moment. <laughs> But Deontay Wilder's rise to the ranks is coming through there. He did eventually sign for Art Heyman in the end, which became his new promoter. Golden, Golden Boy did announce in June that he would be a main event triple header of the Showtime card at Fantasy Spring Casino, California. Against former heavyweight champion. I don't know. Sorry, Lukanovic. In the 10 round bout. 
Lokovic for the first time in nearly a year and a half, while they knocked him out in the first round with a big right hand. This is one thing with Deontay Wilder, you've got to think. He has got a massive right hand. Which the fight did actually came into a protest. As a no contest. Under Lucha and Lukanovic. Actually disputed it. As a no contest. Saying that it was illegal punches behind the ear and the neck. But obviously the fight was given to Wilder. Then he started fighting fighters like Nikolai Furta. Yeah, knocked him out in four rounds. Further was dropped twice. His fury just got relentless. He f- Wilder got relentless, sorry, not fury. He fought um, journeyman and former prize fighter Jason Gavin in the terror bout at the Staples Centre. And the undercard of Sean Porter v. Kelbra. Gavin was knocked down in round three and four. His corner ended up thrown in the towel after four forgiven after round four giving Wilder the stoppage victory. And then it was really after that he um got his he literally got his title shot. at the MGM Grand Garden Arena. And he would become the first American World Heavyweight Champion since Hassan Rahman by defeating Stervery. Which he did beat him. Wait, I'm reading this. Yeah, I'm reading this wrong. I do really apologise. This is, this is This was going... Swimmingly well in my head, now we've got to check. Yeah, Wilder beat Sturmany. Sturmany. The judges scored 118, 109, Cervini only landed 34% of his punches while Wilder landed 37. Wilder had massive rounds of round 2 and 7. He threw Barrage of power shots. And Wilder could utilise his jabs throughout. Especially the 12th round, he really went for it. I, I remember watching this fight quite recently, actually, and he did go for it. Well, the cut relationship with Gordon Boy was Gordon Boy promotion at the end of that fight, where Al Haman became his full-time promoter, or Al Heyman, sorry. Then Wilder started doing defenses against Monalia, Eric Monalina, which coincidentally fought Joshua, John Dupas, Arthur Spitzvitka. He was due to fight. Tavetkin now was cancelled. Aurela. He's actually fought Jared Washington. Or Gerald Washington, sorry. He fought Stavery again, which was a really impressive knockout in the end. 
then it was the Ortiz first fight, which did become a test for him. The fight was stopped in round 10 after 2 minutes and 5 seconds of the round. And yeah, that was pretty much it leading it up then. There was... That was pretty much, there's not really a lot you can say about Deontay Wilder, he was a journeyman, he did end up fighting Ortiz again and Dominic Breeze off. I, I can't really get into Deontay Wilder that much. I don't think I really know a lot about Deontay Wilder. He's a hard puncher and obviously this is going to be an incredible fight, we, we definitely know this is going to be a really incredible fight going to be better than this podcast, I can say the least, the blog will be better, but I am going to publish this, I don't care. So now, the next section I'm going to move on is to the undercard, and the undercard is great, looking at this undercard. If you if you think, yeah, that BT Sport is charging £19.95 for the fight, the undercard sells this fight as well. This, you got the top of the bill of the undercards in the fence. The co-main event, Emmanuel Navaretti versus Leo Santamina Satima for the WBO Super Bantamweight Championship. That will be a great lower weight fight. A lot of action. It'll be a fast-paced fight, I do expect. And it was just after that you get Charles Martin versus Gerald Washington. The former IBF world champion, which lost the title to Anthony Joshua. It's, I, I don't know if you remember him, he used to clown their heads up wearing a crown and a cape. He looked like he should have came out to Radio Gaga by Queen. It was, it was literally, it, it was a clown moment. Then within two rounds, he was done by Joshua. It's almost like the old Jamie Vardy joke, trap shit, get banged sort of thing. Then afterwards, we got Supreme Mata and this Anian. I don't know much about these two fighters, if anything, I don't know anything about these fighters. Which will be amazing. We've got Amir Ayman and Javier Monolina. I have seen Monolina fight, not Ayman, and he is an exciting fighter. There's a lot of questions on how we could deal with this fight, but he'd be an interesting one. We've got Javier Forrest Jr. versus Matt Conway and Isaac Lowe versus Alberto Guevara. These fights have been made up, obviously, because with America, they charge a lot for pay-per-view. And obviously, the box office here is only like 20 quid on BT Sport. And I, I don't doubt a lot of pubs. I know someone who got a pub in Bristol who is open. I'm from Cavity Wales, so I gotta know someone who's got a pub in Bristol who is gonna be open for the fight they stay open for most major events. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Pay-per-view in America is substantial. A lot of them play paid hundreds of dollars for these fights. See, I'm guessing the fights on Fox and ESPN pay-per-view. And they normally charge me enough ninety five dollars for the fight. Imagine charging £95 in Britain, it would be hell. Even that 
KSI Logan Paul was a tenner and people kicked off. Then Bleach put on Sky One or Sky Mix. So it's free for someone to watch. Yeah, so they got to really stack these cards. To make the fight worth it. I know America is kind of not quite known for really stacking undercards well. I think it's more following that Eddie Hearn when he started Maximum USA. The undercards in America were unbelievable. Like the other day, we had the Miami fight night. They had Kevin Farmer on the card. Mark and Andrea, Dimitri, oh, Dominic Andrea, I can't remember his name, he's the main event, he's made the fight Billy Joe Saunders before they put him on the undercard. Also, they've got another YouTube fight, and he's on Gibb versus Jake Paul. That's one sad thing that Gibb didn't win, so uh, I just fucking hate Jake Paul. <laughs> and pretty much that's how they do it, and also with... um. Bringing British fighters over. They're quite known for doing that as well. Billy Joe Saunders fought in America. He brought Luke Campbell over. Martin J. Ward has fought in America. We just talked about Cam Smith into America. Joe Cordina into America. This is what Hearns doing. He's really catalyzing with America. Stack cards. Big main events. It is a show from start to finish with Hearns. And I think that's where Al Heyman and Frank Warren was like, when they promoted this fight, it's like, we need to put a card together. Because British knows how to do boxing. We do know how to do boxing. We know how to stack cards and make them interesting. And now I'm going to go into a bit of um, predictions. And first, before I go to my predictions of the fight, I'm going to have a look at the fight odds. Which I'm going to be using, da, 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 I'm just clearing them up now, I'm reading it as an article. The odds are, Alright. What? Why am I reading this in American? What? Wait, I thought this was British. This is a British site. Why is all the odds in American? Oh god, I hate American sites. They, they can't even make sense sometimes. I'm going to read them through Bet365. Because they got quite interesting odds. I know a few people actually use Bet365 to bet on the football. So I'm going to look at first to win the fight. To win the fight is 1-1 one to one for Deontay Wilder. So he is odds on favourite. And it's five to four for Tyson Fury, which doesn't really put him far behind. 
which is quite incredible. There's more options for it, so I'm going to have a look at it. By KO, TKO, and disqualification is 7-5 to five for Wilder, and is 9-2 to two for Fury. Then by decision, technical decision, is 9-1 to one for Wilder, and 6-4 to four for Fury. Draw or technical draw is 22-1. to one. By round is from round one is forty to one for Wilder, eighty to one for Fury. And I think the lowest it gets because Wilder is very, very low. He is fourteen to one round six. And for round five and six and seven, he's fourteen to one. While Fury from round four to round nine is forty to one. It is quite shocking, some of these odds. Unanimous decisions, 11 to 1 for Deontay Wilder, while Fury is actually 2 to 1. So that is an odds on favour. Split decisions, 33 to 1, 8 to 1 for Fury. This is, I think Fury, if you bet in for Fury, I think split decision and unanimous decision, he is odds on favour, believe it or not. That's probably why he becomes a bit of more the technical boxer that he is. He's a great boxer, Fury. And that is definitely something that I don't want to place a bet. But yeah. You can bet in round groups on here as well. So you can um, bet between round 1 and 3. It's 10 to 1 for Wilder, 25 to 1 for Fury. Four to six is six to one for Wilder. Fourteen to one Fury. Same as seven to nine is the same odds. Ten to twelve is ten to one Wilder. Twenty five to one Fury. And for the fight to go to distance, for yes is ten to eleven, and for no is four to five. So that's the fighting odds from Bet Three Six Five. I'm, I'm not sponsored by them before you say why I'm on Bet365. They are very interesting odds. And I do... I will probably place a bet on this fight, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to stay up here a bit tipsy, a bit drunk. And put probably a ridiculous bet. I don't know, I might be going to Bristol for this fight, so I don't know. So, now I'm going to go to my fight predictions before ending this podcast. Honestly, I'm going to go against the odds. I'm going to probably back the British fighter, Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury is obviously, for me, he will outclass him. And Fury knows full well he will not get a decision in the States. It is a very, very dodgy thing getting decisions in the States. It's been questioned a lot lately. How the scoring in America works and how they do it. But the way it's going, Fury will not get the decision in the States. So I'm going to say Fury is going to outbox him all fights. I don't think Wilder is going to really do much again. I think Fury has learned from the last time about lowering that big right hand. I think he'll go back to similar tactics to the Klitschko fight. About keeping the distance. Obviously, Wilder will probably be bit more lunging in more which will kind of keep him run 
keep him vulnerable for Fury. Because Fury said himself he doesn't need the knockout. He wants the knockout. He doesn't want to go 10 fights without a knockout. So, yeah. I'm going to say Tyson Fury will knock him out in the 7th round. Lucky 7? Or what? The lucky seventh round. Deontay Wilder is fourteen to one, while Fury is forty to one. Please remember that as well. Fury wants this done by knockout, and learning from the last fight, Fury can do it. He's got twenty knockouts out of twenty nine wins. He can do it and I believe Fury will become the new WBC world champion and then he will take on Anthony Joshua next and I said that will be in the Wembley Arena or Wembley Stadium sorry sell out the biggest heavyweight fight in British history and then I think he will go for the farewell fight against Tadora or I could see a great First defence against Dylan White. Maybe he's got a bit of finished business because the heavyweight decision division is opening. Usyk's now in it. I think I think he could go Tesoro again, Dylan White and Alexander Usyk, and then probably look at UFC. It all depends on theory. Well, guys, thank you for listening to my podcast. It hasn't been the greatest quality podcast. But I can tell you, next time, I will not be on my own. I will be interviewing Ty Cymru, counsellor for Caffillies, Trikennes, Enigman, and Perel Ward, John Scriven. Thank you, and enjoy the fight.